Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place to meet some new friends, have some great conversations, and maybe learn something along the way. I'm your host, Isaac Levin, and I got my coffee ready. And today, I'm very, very excited to have a conversation with Martin Woodward. Martin, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. Martin Woodward here, joining you from sunny Northern Ireland this evening. Sunny Northern Ireland. What is the what is the temperature there? Are we around? Oh, are we, are actually, we, are we um, up over? Well, you know. It was. I don't know what it is in freedom units. In uh, in Celsius, it was. Uh, it was like about plus sort of twelve or thirteen, maybe getting oh, up okay. to twenty yesterday. But then today, I just saw snow a second ago, so it's it's wildly flip flopping right now. But there you go. It is the time of year. Yeah. Uh, so how I do the calculation? It's like it's twice plus thirty two, right? Whatever, Bigger. whatever it is. It's. I think it's actually not exactly that, but it's close enough. So. I mean, at the end of the day, like it's warm. It's starting to get warm there, and I think we have the same like similar temperatures here as in Ireland. I, I live in the Seattle area, so yeah, the temperatures we, yeah, are very similar. Yeah, you live in like the only part of the world where I visit, and <laughs> and and I'm literally the only person going, "Wow, the weather here is fantastic!" Yeah, you know, right? everyone in Seattle is complaining about the weather, and I think it's fabulous. So. Yeah, I think that the hardest thing with weather is just the, the <clears throat> at least here, and I imagine it's the same in, in your neck of the woods as well. It's like just the general like gray, kind of like that kind of melancholy weather is what I like to call yeah. it. Um, yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's always nice to have conversations with folks that have know what my temperature is like where I live, which is important. Um, yeah, so I again, thank you for coming on the stream and chatting. Uh, you know, I'd love to kind of get... Uh, your origin story. So like that point in time where you came across tech, depending on who I'm interviewing, it's, you know, people like if they got CDs in the mail or maybe they, their parents brought a computer home when they were younger. But do you remember that moment when you you came across technology and you were like, this is the thing that I really need to be associated with the rest of my life? So I was um, coding from a very early age. You know, I had a, a VIC-20 and it was mostly to get, you know, to do have something to do and to play games and things like that um i kind of came into programming though via electronics i was much more enamored with getting lights to blink and building like you know circuits and then sure. building up to like microprocessor things and things like that and so kind of came at it from that angle and sort of understood it from first principles and then i and then so i was coding did a ton of coding and then i did a i wanted to be a first of all i wanted to be a lawyer because I can talk a lot. And then I wanted to be um, a physics teacher because I had a really awesome physics teacher. And so why not be a physics teacher? And yeah. that's, you know, I love physics. Like that's kind of what I was doing. That was kind of my passion and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then while I was doing my physics degree, I was sort of, you know, going to go be a teacher and all this sort of thing. And I was doing very, very kind of computer science related projects. And I was like, I have a minute. Uh, I could actually earn a job doing this computer science-y stuff. Sure. And I could, in my first job out of school, I could earn more than kind of like my entire family have ever earned in their entire lives sort of thing. So I was like, oh, maybe I should actually make this a job. But it honestly had never occurred to me to make it a job until kind of I was leaving uni all set up to be either a physics teacher sure. or like 
modeling added sort of astronomy and computational fluid dynamics so it's like modeling either galaxies collapsing or modeling sort of airflow around a formula one car like that 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 was the path i was going to go down i was like oh might as well go might as well go build software in in you know for people so i went and had a real job you know i went and worked in I, I went to work for British Airways initially as a like a mainframe programmer to begin with. Oh wow! And then did websites and did all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. Was was for the money, even though I'd kind of always been doing it as a passion, you know, side project on the side. Yeah, I mean that's it's. I think a lot of folks too. They you know they think about tech as like an interest, like, and I don't know when you got started in tech, like from a career perspective. But I think in general, like there's this thing about like the money is safe, right? Like it's not like you're working in a field where jobs can disappear at some particular point in time, right? So I totally relate to folks that are like, okay, if I get a job in tech, like I'm not going to be in trouble for the next 30 or 40 years, right? Yeah. I mean, so I was always doing it as a passion, like on the yeah. electronics side and everything else has always been the hobby. Um, and it still is today. That's that's how I relax is with a soldering iron in my hands and doing sure. some like crazy build or something. But um, yeah, get the money was definitely a, a a reason for sort of going taking it up as a career. And then um, kind of as it as it progressed, it's just it was really interesting because I did um, through open source, and we should probably we'll probably dig into that. I yep. I ended up because of my involvement in an open source kind of project ended up starting a doing a startup with a few buddies I met mm -hmm. over the internet and we did that like we started that around 2004 and so I was leaving like you know jobs in kind of you know secure jobs as a sort of solutions architect in an insurance company and telecoms consultancy and IT consultancy or that sort of thing I was leaving that for doing a startup and it sure. felt like the riskiest thing ever and yet when 2008 hit and we had that financial like crisis and stuff mm -hmm. all my friends who were in banks and insurance companies were all struggling to find jobs and here's me and my little startup still busy you know working yeah. away so that was really fascinating but yeah yeah it's, it's, it's been an interesting ride that's for sure yeah and i think that was uh, thank you for that and that kind of led into the, the next thing i'd like to talk about right you talk we're talking about your proximity to open source or like when you first yeah. started working open source like what was that first thing that you started working on that got you so excited about the idea of like sharing uh you know and distributing you know technology to all sorts of different folks yeah so again it's completely selfish if i'm honest <laughs> sure i was um I was so this was back in like SourceForge days sure. is where I was yeah. you know doing stuff and I was doing some Java work and getting involved with the Apache Geronimo project and then um, different sort of projects I was getting a little bit involved with and using a bit of um, but then whenever I'm using I, I kind of I've crossed this boundary between .NET and Java my whole career sure. um, to the point where you know I've even worked on the .NET team and yeah. then helped the Open JDK do stuff. Sure. So yeah. it's like I've 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 been like on that on that bridge for quite a long for my whole career. And um, so when I was doing one thing for work, I would always try and do some of the other stuff as a hobby project yeah. at home for some open source to keep my learning in. Um, and that's how I actually started doing 
this company called Team Prize, which is how I ended up um, getting a job and, you know, doing a startup and stuff. And um, so, yeah, so really it was selfishly kind of working on a hobby project. Let's working on a library to do something. So I was on a Java project. So I wanted to do some unit testing in .NET. As a, yeah. as, as a hobby project in the evenings. And so I created like a, an SMTP um, test harness class. So you could, if you were doing um, stuff that involved mail, um, I could call my SMTP server as a dummy server. And then within my test, send stuff to the dummy SMTP server. And then I'd be able to, you know, go in my test harness, go be able, go look at what I'd sent over to sure. that test harness to make sure it done. So that, that, that was like probably the first project I maintained that actually had users and mm-hmm. like got a community. And I started yeah. getting contributions from random people and people still using it like five or six years later than when I'd completely forgotten I even started this project so that was probably my first kind of one where i i ran a project rather than just where i was a contributor to a project nervously watching a mailing list kind of listening (laughs) to things and then nervously sending a a patch then it wasn't even pull requests you're sending a patch in and saying hey i think this is okay and then like the joy of that getting merged and accepted and becoming part of the code base yeah that that, that, the maintaining was probably a new uh, a thing that took me a little bit longer to get into yeah that's it's quite funny like the whole like you mentioned something that i've run into too like when you start to get like a project or or a repo or whatever you want to call it like people it starts to gain interest right yeah and then you have like random people that you'll never meet face to face more than likely that want to contribute in plethora of different ways right like what was that like initial was it shock to you where it's like why do people care about this or was it like oh an epiphany of epiphany of maybe there's other people that could make use of this tool and they just found me like what was your like your initial reaction to like oh wow my stuff is interesting to other folks so with that first project it was very much like how how on earth did they find this <laughs> sure. you know like yeah i i i didn't set out to broadcast it it was just yeah. there and people started using it so like, oh, i guess i should do this with um we had another thing so when so i worked on the early versions of um what became team foundation server mm-hmm. um and i was doing java stuff at the side so i decided to go with um build like a java client for tfs which was this microsoft product and you know would um so involved a bit of interoperability and i'd done some work with java talking to active directory before so figured i could figure it out so started doing some work there and that was like the biggest shock because not only were people like we hadn't done anything like i'd literally i'd literally just got the Apache HTTP client stack to authenticate with TFS because it was all SAML yeah. based. And so um, I just got it, well, not SOAP, SOAP based, sorry. And I just got it kind of authenticating, connecting. And, you know, when we'd kind of talked about what we were going to do, and we had we were featured in Dr. Dobbs magazine, and like we were getting <laughs> sure. calls from people left, right, and center. I was like, whoa this isn't sustainable you know i'm like i'm literally spending like an hour a weekend so that was where it was like okay well rather than rather than go and be an open source project like let's try and figure out how we make a business around this and do a startup around it and then you know create the project that way because it was obviously much much more demand than i had the time to fulfill in my little hobby of an evening you know playing on things so that was how i kind of got into got into that side that was a big big jump yeah and I imagine that's a dilemma that a lot of folks that 
they have some idea that they turn into some asset yeah. and then it gets it starts to gain almost too much traction right yeah and then you realize oh quite frankly like this is becoming work uh and then there's like this paradigm shift where it's like okay you need to think about things like okay how do i want contribution to my project do i even want it at all Are, am yeah. i okay with people creating issues they need to be in a particular template you know what a pull request look like do they need to follow the same coding standards as i do like you have to think about like okay if i'm somebody new coming to a project and i want to contribute like what does that look like and i i know i'm very guilty of it like creating projects that's not the first thing that i think of because i don't think intrinsically that people are going to want to pay attention to, no, you're just creating something yeah, and sticking yeah, it in the yeah, repo just yeah. in case somebody finds it useful, mostly for your own reference, so that when you Google yeah. that problem later, you'll be able to find it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's... And also, uh, so I have a project called Presence Light that broadcasts, mm. like, Teams presence to different smart lights. And mm -hmm. it it's funny how... Because I have telemetry, and I... Like, the, the numbers that I see, I'm like, there, there can't be that many people using this thing daily. Like, there can't be. But... I mean, unless I'm logging the telemetry incorrectly, but it's from the, the Windows store. So I don't know how. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where you think about tools that try to make people's life better. Because that's what we're trying to do in tech for the most part, especially open source. Like there's two paths to take, like for a hobby, like you were mentioning, and then trying to figure out some, some revenue stream, like you also talked about, right? Like for you was one Or of the, if you want it, yeah, you know, sometimes... Yeah. Like, like I say, like this stuff I do and it's it's just a hobby project. Like yeah. I, I'm not interested in this. I like I want this to be fun and I don't want yeah. it to be my job. I want it. I'm just yeah. just thing I'm playing on. And I try and set expectations clear. And if people want to take it and run with it, fine. But this is what I'm doing. But there are, no, there are other times where you're so interested in a problem, you can't help yourself but work on it. Sure. And then you start doing that. And then if that gets community traction, and like other people are interested in it too and really come to you, that's where you really kind of think, oh, maybe I could turn this into a full-time gig. How yeah. am I going to do that? Like, what am I going to do? And that, that like, those opportunities are incredibly rare. Yeah. You know, I was so lucky to stumble into one. Um, most people go, you know, your entire career and you'll never like walk into that. It's kind of like a lottery ticket scenario. But when those do happen as well, you're like, is this my lottery ticket? Like, am I going to grab this opportunity and run with it? Or is this the thing that's going to bankrupt me and like, you know, whatever, you know, I know is this going to be a complete disaster? And I, I was very like I came from, you know, reasonably kind of working class background and things. And so the idea of you know, like turning my back on this very secure job that paid money to going and starting up my own sort of company with a bunch of friends that had no guaranteed revenue stream and, you know, where we had to like sell seats and licenses and sure. things to yeah. to to make the rent and to do all that sort of stuff like that was a massive jump that was definitely very very frightening so uh, yeah but it was all all good fun worked out in the end it got me my job at microsoft and things like that which then meant i got my job here at github so it all worked out in the end but it was definitely uh definitely a a, a tour it wasn't a direct route that's for sure yeah i and that what you were saying brings up a good point one of our uh listener sam in in chat he's he says i'll paraphrase for him but it's he wants to yeah. be like he doesn't really he has a hard time i guess understanding like random prs to his projects right yeah like so like what yeah, is yeah, that yeah. like like where where is that when when does the calculus have to take place right where it's like is this too much to bite off right now do i need it broken into smaller pieces 
And like, how do you deliver that message without kind of sounding quite frankly, like somebody who doesn't want them? Because I think one thing yeah. that's really fair in open source is that we do want contribution. We do want people to be interested, even, even in your like hobby thing. Like if people come yeah. and they find it valuable, like that's only beneficial to you. Right. So yeah, most of the time, yeah. most of the time, sometimes the you're time. not, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah but, um, I've it's learned a lot from some of the sort of projects where I've, um, worked with different people. There was somebody called Null Token, um, who was an amazing sort of ran a project that I was part of and he was, you know, fabulous in the way he did it. And then somebody actually, um, he used to work at GitHub, uh, VMG is his handle. Um, again, amazing way of sort of accepting contribution and yeah. working with you. And so I kind of learned a lot from how they responded to pull requests and how like tricks, like polite ways of kind of saying, yes, that's a great idea. Um, however, this kind of you've you've messed up the PR and it's now like you know wants to include every single change set. Can you please go figure out how to fix this? You know, and yeah. it sometimes help me, but not don't feel like they have to. You know, this is um it's your project, it's your spare time, like you have to be protective of it. And so you kind of try and strike a balance between serving the community and also getting the community and building them up to work for you. So it's it's a really tricky balance. So and answer to answer Sam's question directly. Um yeah, when, when it's like trying to split it down and turn it into yeah. a smaller one and get the test to pass and things, you know, I quite often just let them sit there a bit as well. Like say give them the feedback and say, hey, can you break this down into a couple of others, maybe abandon this one and try again, you know, and I've been on the receiving end of that kind of feedback. And yeah. I remember you get some people who be like jerk doesn't want my stuff and never comes back and that's fine because it's too much work to accept it anyway but um i remember being on the receiving end of that and being very grateful of being educated and feeling quite unworthy of this maintainer's time you know yeah. and that's just they're just a person like you but you feel quite unworthy of this maintainer you think oh i don't want to cause you extra work and so you don't mind like you're learning you're going to do the, what you need to do to go try and get it and get it working and yes you will turn some contribution away um that and when you're trying to scale a project, you know, from like a hobby project to, you know, some of the biggest open source projects in the world, the, the difference between those is kind of how much you're gearing up your experience to yeah. not throw away any contribution. The vast majority of open source projects I've worked on where it's just been hobby projects and things, most of the, like, there's so much wasted effort that, that's there because people are lurking on, you know, discussions, people are lurking on issues, people are lurking on PRs and mailing lists and things, trying to understand what's going on before they make a step and contribute. And um, whereas when you're working on a larger scale project, you're trying to funnel as much of that contribution into real live code as you can because yeah. you, you can now scale. So it depends what stage you are. So I would say, just be kind to yourself, Sam, sure. you know, just, uh, you know, take it. Don't worry. You don't have to fix it all. Yeah. I think too, like there is, and, and I, I suffer from it and I don't know if you do or, or in this case, Sam does, but the, I generally get like, I have for some, I have feedback or contribution anxiety where like, yeah, if, yeah. if I, like if my issues, like the number of issues is, is like a number that I'm not comfortable with, I get kind of anxious right yeah or if i have prs to stay open for too long i kind of get anxious not you feel you're letting people yeah. down you yeah. feel like you're getting behind it's debt it's you know yeah. it's a weight on your shoulders definitely 
Yeah. I, and so I just, you know, I just yeah. bite the bullet sometimes, <laughs> you know, post <laughs> up and sure, kind of sure. try and get through stuff. And also, what advice would you give me, Isaac, if I was in that situation? Would you tell me yeah. to worry about it? Would you say I needed to get on with it? Or would you tell me to just, hey, it's all right, don't worry? Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a, probably a bit more forceful when I work with contributors because, one, I know that somebody, especially if I get like a drive-by PR, yeah. I know that more than likely they won't contribute again to my project. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in that case, if I see something and there's somebody's adding a feature that they think there might be valuable, right? Like maybe they're adding like something that I wasn't even thinking of. And I, I'm very appreciative because they see that there's a potential gap um, with what I'm providing and what they actually are looking for. But if it's something that's going to drastically make my life more miserable in contributing it, uh, I typically say like, uh, I don't have the bandwidth to manage this. It, if I do, mm. I know I, it passes all the tests. It is following calling standards, but like, I can't like, I, I don't have the, maybe I don't have the mechanisms to adequately test it. Maybe yeah. I don't, maybe I don't have enough of the, uh, technology experience. Maybe they're using packages or, or, or patterns that I'm not familiar with or used to. So I'm very fine with saying like, sorry, that I, I can't take on this effort because I know you're going to disappear. I don't actually say you're going to disappear, but I say like, I'm owning this long-term. So if you want to yeah. help contribute or, or help maintain this area of my code base for a little bit, that's great. But I know that's not fair to ask everybody. Um, no, exactly. And yeah. also I, I'm, I'm pro I've noticed I'm more rapid than some people I work with in just saying, in just going, no, thanks. Like in, in, yeah. you know, pull requests and things to just say, uh, you know, I'll give a, I usually give a reason unless yeah. it's a totally spammy one, unless in which case I just close it. Yeah. And I work with people who like get really kind of, you can't just close it. You've got to go, oh, this? I'm going to, I'm going to put as much attention into reviewing this PR as they gave in creating it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if somebody's obviously gone to a lot of effort, then I'll put a lot, I'll put, try and put, you know, commensurate effort in. But if it's just like a total drive-by kind of spammy typo one, you know, but I don't want to like, not like the hack type of S ones used to be, but not anymore. Hacked. Like this oh, year's was one was great. Yeah. 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 But you know, this year's was brilliant. But um, in previous years, it was just like one of those. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to merge that, you know? And then, yeah. but if it's one where it's like taking me where the, where the design decision isn't quite what I wanted and this is kind of how my philosophy of things and this is how we're working, then I'll try and take the time to explain the design decision in the PR before I close it, but I'll still close it and move on because I've got like, you know, 50 of these things to get through in the hour I've got that I've given myself to go work on this this weekend. So, yeah, you know, just be kind to yourself is the main thing. Don't don't try not to let it build up. Anything you can do is better than nothing. So just do it and make sure it stays fun as well. I think that's like the thing to, to primarily focus on, right? Like it's all about like your well-being and your health, right? Because unless you're yeah. doing it for a financial avenue. Yeah, unless you're doing like, it for a job. Yeah, if you're doing it for a job, most definitely like you need to maybe be more aware. But if it's a, a side thing or something that you enjoy doing for fun, like if it no longer brings you joy, like to quote a show on Netflix, right? Like you just got to get yeah. rid of it. You just got to get rid of it. But there are, there are times where so – you find people who are maintainers, yeah. they're volunteers, and you find these people are volunteers, not just as maintainers, but you you know, you get 
type of people in life who are volunteers and who put their hand up and say, yes, I'm going to go solve this problem. I'm going to help. And then you get like a whole bunch of people who never do any of that kind of thing. And maintainers are volunteers, sure. usually the nicest people you're ever going to meet because they are like that. And you'll often find it's not just like software, you know, open source software where they're kind of volunteering. They'll volunteer at a local school, they'll volunteer for local charities, like they're people who volunteer. And I yeah. definitely like fall into that category. And sometimes you you do kind of get guilted yourself about whatever kind of volunteering it is that um, you get letting something behind and you kind of have to let some of that guilt wash over you a little bit so that you will set time aside to go focus on it and go do stuff and make progress and then move on. But it has to stay fun if yeah. it's not if you're not enjoying yourself and move on and no no shame to you you know while some people in the community might feel like you owe them uh, you don't owe them you've, yeah. you've given them all the code you've given them all the work and they can take it from there if they want to so yeah make sure it's fun and have breaks yeah no i mean the, the breaks thing is really really important right like it's okay to step away from a project for a bit maybe you'll come back yeah. with some new insight I would love to kind of, you mentioned a couple of things a little bit ago about some of the technology or some of the things that you've worked on in your professional career, right? And one of the things yeah. that you mentioned was Team Foundation Server, right? Yeah. And the reason why particularly I'd like to talk about that is that the progression of that sort of technology need, like the DevOps, continuous integration, continuous delivery, like mechanisms, like there's been so much innovation in the last 10 years, right? 15 years of you know, now, like, you know, you work at GitHub, so like GitHub Actions, right? Like went from yeah. being announced to like the most, I don't want to say popular, most used like system in the world to do these sort of things, right? So like, and since DevOps is something that's, I think it's fair to say, it's like in your area of interest, because I think you've worked in a bit of it in your career, like how well does, or what would you say like the is the catalyst for DevOps for a lot of folks? Is it solely just trying to make lives easier? Is it tooling? Is it technology? Is it culture? Like what is the biggest like driver of success in DevOps? So hang there two things. I think the biggest driver of success when you're doing DevOps right is when you are trying to um, take the flow of value to your end users, your customers. So very, very customer centric yep. and just iterate on it and improve and try and get better at getting more and more value to your end users quick, quicker and quicker. And that's all DevOps is, is like this continual kind of improvement of, of doing that and continually looping. Um, and that should be the driver of DevOps. However, when people think of DevOps, they often think about, you know, all the automation that goes around it, whether it's like actions and doing CI, CD or automating there, or whether it's, you know, Terraform or Ansible or or you know Kubernetes or and there's all these kind of ancillary technologies that people get into and like SRE and how do you do you know uh, how do you manage life sites how do you do post mortems how do you have observability and it's just this this is a massive like collection of things you can do around this but at its heart fundamentally all you're trying to do is just get better at your craft how can you ship stuff better to your end users and how can you keep the customer at the very you know the end user at the very very center of everything that you do and you optimize for their experience the whole time um and then everything else just comes as you get more and more mature and more and more experience with devops you know you start to bring up different technologies but you're not doing it wrong if you if you are doing devops and you're doing 
I know a cl- ASP classic ASP sure. or say or like uh you know or you're using like uh J2EE kind of you know EJBs and all that sort of stuff like you can do DevOps and be using all those technologies and not be doing you know your fancy stuff fancy smanchy yeah. things you can still do improvements like I've been involved with teams like the Windows team and people like that or the Office team you know where trying to take these big monolithic products and take them from you know shipping every two three years you know ignoring longhorn or something like that like yeah. in, in a good way to, sure. to shipping all the time and getting yeah. how could you know deliberately re-engineering their products and their commercial practices so that you have a feedback loop that's customer focused that allows you to iterate on your product quickly so that you can get it better because as we found the only way of improving the product and making it and making it work is to iterate on it to iterate quickly and to get live feedback on it so that you can tell if it's going in the right direction yeah i'm always completely astounded at how fast like some teams can ship like when like they ship a new version of windows every week like to the insider team right like that's like to me that that blows my mind every single time or like it, it like, wasn't like that way oh i know like we <laughs> <laughs> it, it used to take like oh my yeah so it used to take um when i started at microsoft and i started in what november 2009 was when so i did this company called team Buys, got acquired joined microsoft in november 2009 and we had like a ton of open source experience which is what we brought in but what we also brought in was like we were shipping online you know we were shipping to an eclipse update site we yeah um you could buy physical media from us if you wanted but most people just went to an update site and downloaded it online and i went from that to shipping software that was in like actual shrink wrap boxes sort of thing this is some software i worked on and um in fact my first when i first started uh i had to go on a course so that I was able to approve the hologram that went on the DVD that goes in this box. Oh, you know, I was like, a bizarre. Yeah. And and I, but I used to run in and I used to see that, um, the, like the time to null ship, the time it, the like the minimum time it took to ship something was like nine months. You know, or and then you know they eventually got it down to six weeks, and I thought that was revolutionary. And here I am, like used to shipping every day, at least yeah. multiple times, you know, maybe multiple times per day. And it was, I remember when I got the team down that we were working on down to shipping like every single day and the ability to have a same day ship. That was just like, how yeah. can you wow. do that? You know, how can, yeah. and there were, but there's also, and you see this a lot in um, every enterprise organization I work in. People think, you know, why are you doing things? You know, you you can't do that here because we're spe- we are blah. You know, we, we are, are Microsoft. We are, the, we, are, we are the special case. We don't need to do. We it, are yeah. the special case. We're a yeah. bank. We're a whatever. Like there's reasons, hand wave. Well, we can't do that. Um, we, you know, you can't do that here. Or or why do you have to do this big long complicated process? Oh, because we're such and such. You know, because we're we're a big company and blah blah blah. And so you got to like dig in and understand what those business reasons are, and then figure out how you get there and how you get to where you want to go. Because iteration and being able to iterate quickly and get people's feedback quickly is what counts. In fact, from Microsoft's point of view, that was where a lot of open source came in because it gave like if you work on the .NET team is incredibly hard to get like people to use new versions of .NET, you know what I mean? Especially when they release and there's a whole life cycle and all that sort of stuff. But if you can get live feedback on every single commit, you know, not not even a build, but every single commit before it's been merged, 
that's massive. That gives you the ability to iterate and gives you the ability to kind of hone in on what the community needs, what your customers need so much quicker than actually waiting until you've shipped products and then had people adopt them. So, yeah, very, sometimes it's driven by um, that kind of feedback loop, the DevOps thing, you know, the yeah. ability to give feedback to people. So, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, and even when you think about github.com, right? Like a lot of yeah. people don't think about it, but like github.com is a product, right? Yeah. And it <laughs> just updates constantly. Like it seems yeah. like every time I log in, I have like a new icon for some preview feature that I can toggle on and off, right? Yeah. Like how, like obviously, and I'm not sure, and I'd be curious to know, maybe you, maybe you have some insight if it's by design or not, but it almost seems to me like GitHub as a company, as a product, like had that in that vision into into DevOps from the get, right? It seemed like we need to be able to ship constantly. We need to be able to provide bring value as soon as possible. Like from your experience, like has that been was that been baked into the culture, or is that something that was kind of adopted maybe two or three four years of the business being around? I think everything like that goes in waves. Sure, and that's what because I've like done startups and I've done enterprise software and I've done like legacy software and I've worked in big and one of the things that I hadn't done is like done what they call the like the one is born in the cloud like a startup that's got really big that was always in the cloud always yep. delivered to the yep. cloud and what's and what's been fascinating is there's still like the DevOps and the continuous improvement need is there and you still mm -hmm. build up technical debt in areas um, and you still build up process debt in areas as well. So um, looks like we have a lost Martin for a little bit. Let's see if he comes back. Right. See. If Sorry, I think I lost you then for a second. Hopefully, you can see. Yeah, me now. you're back. You're back now. So we lost you for about. And I've lost 10... your audio as well, Isaac. By the way, I can't quite my... hear you. So I don't know if that's my end or your end. Uh, give me one second. Thank you for being patient, folks. Can you hear me now? Mark? I can hear me. In the chat, if we've got any questions, if you can hear me, I'd be excited to know, or if you can yeah, hear Isaac. So, so Sam you can says, hear us both. Yeah, well, that's yeah. even more amazing. Hang on yeah, a second. Yeah. That must be on my end that's going wrong. Speaker. Uh, da, da, da. Give me one second. I'm going to switch to a. So. Okay, all right. Let's see if we can get this going. I can hear you now. You can hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There we go. Cool. Don't touch Let's... anything. Don't touch anything. Don't right. Touch anything. What cool. were we talking about? All Thanks, right. Sam. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> what um, were we talking about? Um, so you were talking about uh, companies that are born in the cloud. Yeah, yeah so yeah. the GitHub journey and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's been on a journey. So, um, But the processes you need for having a team of, say, 20 I've found in my career, whenever you're, whenever you go up by an order of magnitude, so say from 20 to 200, and then from 200 to 2,000, sure. you need a completely different set of processes and kind of like different structures in place to allow you to still engineer at the speed and velocity you want to do and yeah. scale up to support different people. And so we've definitely changed kind of like the life cycle as it's gone. Um, 
And but it's, it's also been remarkable how much of the core infrastructure in GitHub has remained kind of scalable to support this growth. Sure. So like the basic CI and sort of pull request, that process has been, re been re-engineered a few times. And the way it works now is it's kind of like a, a post merge deploy is kind of what yeah. happens. You know, you go in chains and then it gets and then it gets deployed. But early on, it was it got deployed before it was merged into main because oh. uh, that okay. was the test. That was how you knew if it worked. Is does it work in production? Yes. Sure. Okay. Right. Well, let's push this into main. But that meant blocking kind of main for a little while. Yeah. Things and slaps and scale. So anyway. It's it's been fascinating seeing that, but the thing that has survived in GitHub, the thing that GitHub's got really good is kind of their feature flagging infrastructure mm -hmm. is fabulous. Um, and so we have this amazing kind of thing where you can come in and you know enable features to sort of two percent of users, one percent of users, specific users, and then you can say right, go from one percent to fifty percent and look for errors and if any errors happen then stop you know and all this sort of stuff and so yeah the feature flagging infrastructure that they have is just absolutely still to this day uh is, is scaled enormously well well now we have built feature flag debt because now you have a lot of feature flags in code you have a lot of feature yeah. flags which are in the database which aren't actually being used in code anymore and you have to go back and clean those up and set up actions to go clean them up and all that sort of stuff but yeah it's it's been really interesting it's been a, a great journey coming along and seeing how it goes but um hopefully you've seen the team's velocities keeping on increasing and we it goes in waves that like we had some we you know we, we've hit some issues with like mysql and stuff like that which has meant we had some availability problems the past couple of weeks but we you know we're getting on top of those again we, we will get on top of them and then there'll be another wave and then we'll hit the next kind of bottleneck and then we'll see what happens and that's how it works yeah it, i mean the the github journey is fascinating to me because obviously when it first created it was just basically a web wrapper for the git technology right that's, yeah that's a like over oversimplification it's original but... hosting line was git host git hosting that isn't a pain in the in the a in oh the really very yeah, good. Yeah, that was his Very original good. marketing tagline. So, Very yeah, good. And and now, like you see it, you know, very quickly moving into this whole developer tools productivity suite, right? Like yeah. you know, you know whether you're talking about repos still or projects, which are yeah. issues of projects and discussions to be able to have conversations that aren't quite issues or aren't quite pull requests, and yeah. then moving into like these developer centric things like code spaces and actions. And github.dev, like it just seems that in the last like three years, it seems there's been like this huge push just for enhancing the developer experience or you know, increasing developer productivity. You know, I, I'd love to get your thoughts as, as somebody who probably was a part of some of those initial conversations is like, is the ultimate goal to be a one stop shop for all the primary use cases of developers? Or is it as seeing an opportunity that doesn't quite exist in the market and filling in a gap. I think it's it's an interesting one because you know it is GitHub. It's it's the central place where you can integrate things together and build yeah. them. So I think it's building the core collaboration capabilities that you yeah. need that by doing in the platform we can build the appropriate kind of network effects and things to make it work really well for you that only works really well if it's part of the platform. But I think there's a conscious effort to leave plenty of scope for people to build in add-on services and connect and, yeah. you know, like leave plenty of room in the market because uh, GitHub, 
one of the things about that Microsoft developed and that GitHub already had, and I don't think Microsoft had this for all of its career, but it did kind of the, towards the end of when I was working there, and GitHub always had it, is um, GitHub does not assume that the smartest people in the world work at GitHub. Sure. GitHub assumes that their customers, their end users, the community are smarter than them. Mm. And so they know that like, if we build the fundamental building blocks, our community will build like stuff we've never even dreamed of you know what i mean yeah. so like what building blocks do we need to provide that allow them to do stuff so that's things that where that's things like actions again built in a very building block way that was open and extensible um is that things like sponsors so we can start to get a revenue stream but as we do yes. that how can we open up the platform to patreon and to you know open collecting things as well so it's not just stuff you know some of the security tooling how can we build these in so that we build security tooling that we can give away for free to open source projects but we also create a platform by which other security people can come in and build things so it's kind of how can we build these building blocks that then allow people who are smarter than us who are in our community to come in and put them into the workflows that they need so um no but it's been really it's like yeah the the growth and kind of like the features over the past year or two has just been phenomenal and it's yeah. it's fun to try and keep up with as you know as a as somebody who uses the product and tries to have has to you know helps to teach people how to use the product and things it's definitely it's definitely fun times for sure yeah i mean i'm always surprised i'll be going through my typical github workflow since you know my yeah. organization the company i work for we use github github enterprise right and i use github for personal or hobby projects yeah and it's just like i'll be navigating and i'll just see something that looks completely different and i'm like oh yeah. like this is awesome like i think yeah. one of the, the like on being able like the change the changes that were done like in the in the changes tree like being able yeah. to see things like stuff like that where i'm like I don't even remember what it used to look like because only in my brain it should look like this, right? So yeah, think, well that's that's when you know you've done it right. That's yeah. the same with any UI where you know you've got it right where it kind of just disappears. Occasionally we move the cheese, like we to introduce a feature so that stars can be used not just to star but actually allow you to categorize what your stars yep. are, so you mm -hmm. can start to create lists of things, yep. you know. Um, to build that feature, again, that's how it should work. Everybody's like, yeah, well, of course, this is how it should work. That's how it should yeah. always work. But to do that, what we had, we had to move like a shortcut some people had where they would click on the star button to see who are the follower, who'd starred this repo. Um, and so we kind of had to move that down a bit into sort of yeah. like, there's a little menu where it's got your code of conduct and your license and things like that. We had to move the people who were the, the star followers. We had to move that down there. Um, and that, that can kind of be disruptive sometimes. And so what we do often, especially when it's UI changes, roll it out to a small percentage of people, measure how many people are having trouble, how many people are still doing fine, make sure those percentages are okay and we're not sending like a, the, you know, we're not sending everybody down a horrible loop and then start to increase the percentage of people that get this. Or if it's an even bigger UI change, you'll quite often see it in beta for a long period of time. And then we, we closely monitor the opt-out percentages because if people have tried it and then opted out, 
it obviously isn't working for them. Sure. And and UI is like a joke, right? You know, you can you can think a joke is as funny as you like, and you can yeah. try and explain it. But if you have to explain it, then it's probably not working. The same is true with UI. It can be the smartest, cleverest UI you've ever dreamt of. But if you have to explain it to somebody, it's probably not working for them. And so if they've switched it off, that's a great indicator that you haven't got it right yet. So back to the drawing board, try and make it better, and then and then look at the opt out percentages the next time, the next situation. Yeah, I mean, I think UI is like a lot of things. It's completely subjective, right? Like yeah. We've all came across like experiences that we thought were terrible, but then like you realize that they probably won awards for user experience, right? Or yeah. even to knock on something like, and it's not a knock, but like modern art, right? Yeah. I don't know how often you go to like a modern art museum, but like I'll go and I'm like, that's just a canvas with a hole in it. Like and I'm, and in my head, I'm like, I just don't get it. <clears> that's okay. But some people think it's like this mastery. And it, I think what's interesting about, you know, people with all the people, everyone has their own different tastes and, fl and enjoyments, right? And I think as long as we can continue to, to ensure that everybody feels like they're being spoken to in the way that makes sense for them, that's the real goal, right? So like yeah. putting a bunch of effort, like you're saying, into making sure, yeah, like there's a ton of canary experience that we can put on here. Make sure as much, make sure that the experience for everybody is always going to be positive or not always positive, but as, mu as much positive experience as possible. Um, I do think one thing as well that's quite interesting, and I would love to get your thoughts on it. it so in the in GitHub, like obviously it's a web page, so people have mm -hmm. taken upon themselves to write like extensions for browsers to kind yeah. of modify the experience or, or do additional plus one things that GitHub doesn't do. Um, yeah. And I've seen over the course of the last two years or so, like some of these features kind of get brought natively into GitHub. So mm -hmm. how often, you know, from your perspective, how often does GitHub kind of monitor the, that, ex that browser extension ecosystem um, and look to see if there's things that, oh, like this particular extension has 500,000 five-star reviews. Like maybe we should look to incorporate that into the platform. Like how often does those sort of conversations take place? Not as much as you'd think, actually. Okay. I think those, those sorts of, there's, there's a, sort of a few things wrapped up into that same thing. One of them is is that we probably need a better UI extensibility story than we have. Sure. Kind of, it's an area that we know we've we've got feature debt on, if you like, and mm -hmm. it's hard to extend the UI in a way that um, makes sense. And so people resort to these browser extensions, which are then very fragile. So we've had a number of times where we'll upgrade and we'll break people's browser extensions, not realizing it because we don't use those, we don't test them. And um, and then they complain to us that a feature stopped working that isn't even a feature we created, but they didn't <laughs> sure. realize it again it from a browser extension. So it becomes a, like this supportability nightmare, you know. Um, that said, they're also an amazing indicator of pain that your customers have that you've you've taken so long to address yeah. that somebody's gone and made the effort of like making this plugin, and then thousands of more people have gone to the effort of figuring out that there's a plugin available and installing it like that's a significant pain yeah. and so there are times there where it does it usually though um the team were already aware of that pain existing just sure. trying to implement it for them um was was you know non-trivial work that needed to go get done especially to do it the github scale because it's um that's one of the biggest things that's been sort of like fun for me to go do is working at this scale now because is 
there's a big difference from creating like a browser extension or creating a plugin or creating something which works with a few thousand developers sure. kind of thing to when it's working with sort of 73 million, you know, or however many is, you know, over 70 million developers. And, um, and the load that that puts on the site, kind of the impact that it has to databases and things like this. So it's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's like, it's this double-edged sword. You can, every single change you make, and we make, you know, changes every second to the website, but every single time you make a change, you're making somebody's life a lot better. And at the 70 million plus scale, um, it only take if you can save a second, like you've saved like entire lives of people in the world yeah. just by improving the performance by a second today. But the downside of that is if you mess up, you mess up everybody's day, and At all of scale, a sudden they're yeah. like, you know what I mean? So it's it's a it's a massive massive privilege, but it, it, it I'd be lying if the responsibility of it doesn't weigh on you at times as well. Oh sure, but with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like to indeed, go, to yeah, go yeah. But it's somewhere. great fun, that's for yeah. sure. And oh. uh, and just yeah, it's just yeah, it's just and the, the the impact you can have on everybody's life by you know just doing stuff and like you can kind of it's often not the most shiny like things that can really make a big impact and but you can just kind of like push people in like mm -hmm. gently nudge people into a more into a more brighter future like giving a you know a julia ferreira had an idea one day why, why don't we make codes of conduct have a bit more prominence in the ui i was like yes sure. that's a good thing let's yeah. do that and then people are like oh how do i get one of those codes of conduct badges oh i need to add a code of conduct file to my repo okay i will do that you know and it's just like how can we kind of gently nudge people into this better brighter more inclusive future um how can we make sure features we add are in including more developers in more countries and more parts of the world rather than excluding some and things it's just yeah it, it's a it's an absolute privileged place to work and for somebody like me who's you know coming whose career's always been around open source mm -hmm. it's just the best place in the world to kind of just sit and you know I get paid to help open source projects sure. be more successful yeah. on GitHub. Like there isn't a better job yeah. for somebody who does it. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, no, I totally it's agree. Phenomenal. It's it's also one of those things too, where the, the amount of conversations you get to have, I mean, like, you know, you mentioned like just being able to, you make one change and you'll get feedback positive or negative instantaneously. Right. Yeah. And you can the course, cor tells you. yeah. Course mm -hmm. correct or, you know, and even like sentiment stuff, like I'd imagine there's a yeah. good amount of sentiment that like, you know, people, hey, oh, yeah. this this feature got launched today. Let's go and check Twitter to make sure people aren't screaming about it. Like, you know, there are some other well-known social media platforms because I think GitHub to an extent is a social media platform for developers. Mm -hmm. um, but there are some social media platforms where they'll, well, they'll make some changes or add features or change UI. And the overall response from the community is this is absolutely the worst. And I don't yeah. really see, and I don't see that with GitHub. I see people more excited about the capabilities that are being added. Um, not to say that yeah, you're not, occasionally mess up. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an example. We, but I think we do make mistakes from time to time. Sure, of course. But I, I think a lot of the time, though, we've by the time we've got to a hundred percent, or by the time we've come out of beta, um, we've generally tested it with enough people, and we've got enough data, we've got enough kind of. Um, anecdotal feedback that we're fairly confident is good. You know, we don't just like, though we do make changes like multiple times, you know, 
I say every roughly every second, but definitely every minute of every day, there's a new yeah. version of the website getting deployed. But we're then using the feature flags to test those changes and make sure they're going okay and then expand. And, you know, we're fairly deliberate in switching things on, but occasionally we do and, you know, we mess up and people are like, oh, this has gone horrible. That star example was a great example, right? There were yeah. some people who used the fact that clicking on stars gave them the star followers and they just didn't see this button down there because it was in an area of the screen that they were ignoring because it had no, inf you know, had no value to them previously. Like those people definitely complained. You know, every time you do something, my final one is like, uh, my funniest one is um, no matter what the random most amazing feature is you can think of, is measuring the time to first finally um, on a post. Oh. And like, so somebody does it and, and you know, you'll do like, hey, we've added telepathy into this yeah. thing, which is basically what Copilot is thinking about. But anyway, we've added telepathy into GitHub and finally i've been asking for this for years yeah, yeah. you know and it's like yeah well we just got around to it today sorry well it's but, yeah it's it's quite funny how after something's been introduced people say oh i've been thinking about that for five years it's like have you though i mean like the ideas are not well yeah. probably have to be honest yeah. and you you can it's probably been on the backlog for about then as well oftentimes it's not you know, as a, I, so I was program manager for a long time and the idea is usually the easy, easy bit. Yeah. Um, it's figuring out how to do it in a way that you can afford to build it quickly, that will sure. scale, that can do all this stuff. It's like, you know, it's actually building it's often the hard part. And that's again, true with open source, you know, the idea, the feature is the easy part. Um, but if you show up with code that actually implements it, code talks more than anything else. And that's kind of, you know, that, that implements it in a way that aligns with the rest of the system that has minimal impact on the system, that one bit of code change actually solves not just the your specific use case, but a whole category of problems, like by just changing something, something small, then that's when you know you're doing it right. And so, yeah making adjustments to github is very very similar to accepting pull requests on your own open source project for sure yeah i mean that's great i and i'm gonna ask the next question i'm curious about and you can say yeah. no nah, i don't want to answer it um okay. i would love to hear you know obviously you don't need to spill the beans on any great things that github hasn't announced yet but what do you see like the future of github as a platform do you see it continuing down this path of just continually adding great experiences for developers? Do you see it as something more as that? Like, and you can be as um, transparent or opaque as you want, but I'm genuinely curious, like like the vision of GitHub for developers and more some of the things that you, that, you know, the team is thinking about right now. Go to github.com go GitHub slash home. GitHub yeah. is the home for developers. And that's, yeah. that's what we want GitHub to be. Um, like, how can we make this a great place where people can collaborate, where we can increase the, you know, the ability for people to value, give value and build software, where we can increase the numbers of people that can actually get into software development and start building stuff. So yeah, Gib just wants to be the the home for software. Like how can we help people build things? And then I think there's a whole bunch of like interesting technology spaces, you know, like there's you know, on the action side, down the automation, you know, what can we do there to improve it? How can we make it even better? How can we like add different features in the additional building blocks? Code spaces is another great example where it's this like what a whole category of problems 
is around you know setting up development environments and if we can get to the point where we can make it you know super easy to have your development environment checked in as code alongside with the code and make it that will not only make enterprises make it easier for them to build software for if we can get that working for open source as well and make it so much easier to contribute to an open source project which will mean more open source which will mean more software that people can build and more collaboration you know and then then you've got like you know longer bets like things like copile and stuff where it's like how can we take all this learning and in a responsible way with ai you know how can we take some of the learning and all that data and actually give it back to you as value and save you having to do lots of stack overflow searches and lots of google searches how can we help you get real-time kind of code suggestions and code feedback and all that sort of thing so yeah there's the future and then there's like security as well like there's so much stuff we could do in that space building code building secure code is just too hard today yeah. um and how can we make that better so that people can build more secure code, but you don't notice it? As developers, we hate planning tools. We hate Jira. Sure. We hate anything that makes us track our time. How can we build tools which make that fun for developers? So it's all about developers. Developers are at the center. It's not going to become like Office or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's, a, it's, it's the tool for developers by developers to try and make their lives fun and be able to help us have the 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 world have the most impact for the amount of time we have left because we all have a finite number of keystrokes in our hands and a finite number of breaths in our bodies so how can we help people get the most out of those and have fun along the way and make friends as well that's great i mean that's that's probably in my opinion the best way to end this conversation because i think like the story of github and you know you're a big part of that is to empower developers to do the things they want to do because technology yep. at the end of the day it's dependent on the people that are building technology right like yeah. you can have you know the, the fastest chips or the you know the whatever right but yep. if you don't have developers that can leverage those tools or leverage those technologies it's just sitting there right and i think and it's also about building a community of people yes. you want to hang out with building a space where it's full of people that you want to spend time with behaving in a way that you want to be behaving in you know what i mean it's about yeah. building a space you want to hang out and a lot of people who live at github and you know who work at github are there because of the community around github and just want to make it a better place because that's where they enjoy hanging out and that's the people they enjoy you know collaborating with and building things with so it's how can we make that better for sure no that's that's awesome all right, so the last question that I have for you before okay. we sign off is um, at the end of our shows, I like to ask my guests if uh, they can summarize kind of the you know technology, open source, the community around it, and they only had one word to do that. What word would that be for you? For the technology and open source and everything Te around open source. Yeah. Wow. Um... It's playful, playful, inquisitive. inquisitive, inquisitive. Oh, wow. No, I like that one because yeah, like I, there's nothing better than just learning. Right. I think. Yes. If yeah. you finish a day smarter than you started the day, it's been yeah. a good day regardless of what happened. And the whole, yeah. So this learning by doing, by playing, by experimenting, 
that to me is what it's all about. That's 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 the community that I enjoy hanging out in anyway. Now that's great. And again, Martin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me. For the folks that aren't already following Martin, you can follow him at Martin Woodward on Twitter. I'm guessing it's also Martin Woodward on GitHub, I believe. Yep, and Martin uh, Woodward everywhere. It's a Martin long Woodward name, everywhere. but it means nobody else has got it. So that's, that's awesome. right. That's right. And so I want to thank you for being on the show and thank you for our folks that tuned in. And so enjoy the rest of your day and take care, everybody.